Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture podcast where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like tow truck drivers. Oh my God, I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Black, Reefer Sutherland, Luke Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troller of trolls, the prince of petty, Steve G. It is July 11th, 7-11, 21, 21, 21. 21. And this past Tuesday, yours truly had his car towed. Who towed my car? My own fucking apartment complex towed my car. Uh, I'm on my way to work, or I thought I was on my way to work. I shower, uh, go to the parking lot where I thought I parked my car. I do a once over. I do a twice over, a thrice over, uh, four times. I walk up and down that parking lot, and then I go to the other side of the building, up and down that parking lot. I'm like, man, I know I don't have amnesia. I know I'm not tripping. I know this weed hasn't completely killed my memory. I know I had a car, and it's a ashy black Nissan that I parked in front of my apartment complex, specifically the one where I reside. And I did not find my fucking car. I thought my car was stolen. I asked myself, why would someone steal this goddamn car? What is the value out of all of these cars? Any car, any parking lot. I fucking parked this thing. It's probably the worst fucking car in the lot. Easily. It's ugly. It, it, it makes noises. It crunches sometimes when you park or try to push the brakes uh it's it's a fucking head it's a headache why would someone want to sign up for this shit so immediately i call my bank my loaning bank that helped me get this nissan and i just want to make sure because i'm in good standing i was like hey uh my car's not here and i want to know if you guys had it towed and they assured me that they do not have possession of my car so my next step i had to call off work I had to call off work uh, because I don't have my car. I don't know where my car is. I don't even know where to start. And so that was another thing. I had to call off work. And the next call I made was to my apartment complex to see if they had surveillance in the parking lot. And, you know, I explained to them, I think my car was stolen. And I want to make sure, like, if you guys have some kind of camera set up to make sure, like, to see if any thieves or whatever. And they said, oh, no, we don't have uh, surveillance in the parking lot that would be able to see something like that. However, uh, it was actually us who had your car towed uh, because of uh, there, there were no tags on the car. And, man, to that I say, Fuck you, motherfucking cocksucking son of a bitch, piss assholes. That was a lot of cuss words that didn't even like go together, but fuck y'all. I'm I'm just gonna say it. Hidden Colony. That, that, those are the names. That's the name of my apartment complex. You fucking lousy bastards. Oh my god. I was so fucking angry I could bite into a car. 
So they told me they towed my car because I I had didn't have a tag. I still have my Texas plates. And shame on me. Shame on me. I fucked up. Even though I do have a registration and my title is current with the state of Georgia, I just never got around to replacing my license plate. That's what it boiled down to. So still, I I just feel a certain way about an apartment complex, the place where you're paying to live, to rest your head. The place that you've parked this car for months and they could recognize, damn, like you guys actually are in the practice of towing your own tenants' cars away? Who fucking does that, Hidden Colony? Who has practices that makes their tenants' lives harder? Let's say I never had that fucking license plate uh, registered. Let's say I never got my car registered or anything. Let's say I had a hard time trying to struggle to... find the ways to make this happen let's say i still have yet to do that motherfucking hidden colonies you would have made it even harder because i had to pay two hundred dollars the next day to get my fucking car out on top of having to get it lift even more money and i question the 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 office person or whoever the fuck you call them i i asked the person Hey, dude, like, why would you do that? Like, I, I got current shit and I got proof right here. I got this shit since February. And he said, well, we took a picture of it and he posted a sticker. I didn't know where that fucking sticker came from, man. I remember that sticker, but it didn't say shit about no hidden colonies. I just knew that I had my shit current. I just never got around to getting the shit replaced because I don't have the tools. I don't have the tools to replace that shit. I ain't got one of those drills, those power screwdrivers. I ain't got that shit. And the guy looked like the thing from Fantastic Four at the fucking realty office at Hidden Colonies. Hey, Marvel book face guy. Why don't you, do you have the tools? Because I don't. And I'm, I'm, I thought about taking them to court, but it's just going to be a waste of time. It's going to get me nowhere because I, I read the fucking lease agreement and it, it says shit in there where it's like, oh, if we see cars with uh, expired tags or no tags, uh, we have the right to tow. That's some fucking bullshit, man. But I will go in there and ask if they can replace this fucking license plate. Do you guys have the tools since you're so concerned about these fucking cars with no goddamn expi- with no tags or expired tags, expired registration? Since you guys are so concerned, you fucking patrolling cops here, you self-appointed committee uh, watchdogs. I'm sure you do. Of course you got the tools to replace the fucking license plates on people's car since you're volunteering. Oh, man. Hidden colonies. Yeah, I got about nine more months of of petty coming from me. Nine more months. Every time I'm going to that office, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. Let me make sure my car is still in the parking lot. Uh, Y'all have a nice day. Yes. You asked for this shit, hidden colonies, you punk ass sons of bitches. Leave my goddamn car alone, man. 
damn. I get it, though. I get it. I should have been more proactive. Steve, let this be a lesson. Hey, my cultivating cultivists, my listeners, my people, let this be a lesson. Just be more proactive. Just if you know some shit that needs to be done, get it done. And I know this shit needed to be done, but I just would not expect my apartment complex to have my goddamn car towed. I was in preparation for the police. If they if they see my shit out in the street with the Texas tag, they could just scan it and be like, "Oh yeah, he's shit, his shit's it's current. He just hasn't replaced his tags." But not you, hidden colonies. Fuck y'all niggas, bro. Y'all some hoes. Hidden colony, y'all some hoes. Uh, now over the week, I, I was able to see the documentary that that they did on Dick Gregory. It's called The One and Only Dick Gregory, and it was actually released uh, on June 19th last month of this year, and uh, it it aired on Showtime. But you know, I, I got sneaky links and shit. Uh, you know, inbox me for details. But yeah, the one and only Dick Gregory, and and not enough has been said uh, or can be said about this legendary comedian. Uh, he's more than a comedian, actually. He's a revolutionary. He's once in a lifetime, uh, one of one, to put it in uh, shorter and simpler terms. He's one of one. There will never be another. He he was a revolutionary comedian, like I said, in the, in the 1960s. He made a, a household name for himself, and he would hit the, the chitlin circuits. He would uh, do shows at the Playboy Penthouse with Hefner, and he, he would do some racy uh, extra emphasis on the term racy uh, material. He, during a time when black people were getting hosed down and dogs sicked on them and getting shot, getting hung, uh, he said some things in the presence of, of white people. He, he said things in the presence of America, you know, the world, the, the country was watching. And, uh, you know, he became on, you know, public enemy for Hoover, for, for Mr. Hoover and the FBI. Uh, he, he was one of the people because he was a, a, a vocal supporter of the civil rights movement, a instrumental figure of the civil rights movement. And, uh, you know, he had the opportunity to just do the celebrity deal where, you know, he's in support by, you know, sending funds and, you know, sending money to Martin Luther King or whatever, but nah, he, he wanted to be in the trenches and, and he actually canceled shows uh, right when he was at his prime in, in the comedy world. He would just say, hey, you know what? I got a bigger purpose. And over the years, people, he, his name was mentioned less and less because, you know, comedy became secondary to him. It wasn't really his focus. And, you know, he became focused on being a healthy eater he started this thing called the Greg uh, Dick Gregory diet. Um, I, I think it was also termed as the Bahamian diet, where it's these uh, pills and just liquids, a lot of liquids. And he actually started becoming a runner. He would run from coast to coast. He actually ran, I think, from Chicago to like Philadelphia or some crazy shit it would be him and like two of his buddies 
just to see if he can make this shit work, if this can be a thing. He was implementing this Dick Gregory diet in the late 70s, early 80s, and it, it had somewhat of a following. But the one and only Dick Gregory, you should check it out. Uh, even if you never heard of the man, uh, if you're a fan of comedy, if you like a good story about once in a lifetime people, uh, check it out if you can. Now on Friday, Space Jam 2, new legacy soundtrack came out and I was impressed. It has features from Lil Baby, Kirk Franklin, 24K Golden, Lil Wayne, Chance the Rapper, John Legend, Simba, Sweetie, Salt and Peppa, Cash Dow, Lil Uzi Vert, St. John, SZA, uh, Jonas Brothers, uh, Brock Hampton, Dame Dalla, G Easy, White Dave, Big Frida, Corday, Duckworth, Joyner Lucas, Leon Bridges, Anthony Ramos. And uh, I added probably about three or four tracks in there. I really like the opening track with Lil Baby and Kirk Franklin. Uh, we win. And I mean, it's Kirk Franklin. So I, I just it's a unlikely pairing. But I enjoyed that track. I also like the track with Chance the Rapper, believe it or not. See me fly. And I really don't care for Chance the Rapper. I think he's super corny and, you know, that's coming from a corny motherfucker. And of course, Lil Wayne's track, uh, he's on there with 24 Golden, uh, Control the World. Uh, also, SZA and St. John's track, Just For Me. Also on Friday, Vince Staples releases his new album, Vince Staples. And, eh, too slow for me. Everything has the same, like, airy, spacey tone. And it's only 22 minutes. The, the album's 10 songs, 22 minutes, 2 seconds. And there were probably, I want to say, 3 songs I, I might have added to the playlist. Law of Averages, Taking Trips, uh, and MHM. I really like MHM. That was a change of pace, MHM. But yeah, Vince Staples' new album, Vince Staples. It's at least uh, one good listen. Now, over the week, we also last lost a, uh, you could say, uh, a relevant. She, she's she's been in some, some pretty classic uh, black movies, some black films, if you will. For my film students, she was in some black films, some classical, classic black films. So we lost Suzanne Douglas. Uh, she wasn't even that old. She was in her mid-60s. And, I, you know, a lot of people remember her from Parenthood with Robert Townsend and Jason's lyrics. She played Jason's mom. Uh, her, was it Lance Payne? Alan Payne and Bokeem Woodbine. He play, she played their mom. Uh, you know, she was in some other roles, but those are the main two that I remember her from. And yeah, I, I didn't even know she was sick. She was, she always seemed like she was doing well in life. She always looked happy. Uh, she was beautiful. I, I always, you know, thought she was a MILF and, uh, you know, we, unfortunately we, we lost her over the week. So, uh, may your soul rest in, in heaven, in paradise, Miss Douglas. Now we're, we're in these finals 
and the Suns are two games up. I've said this before. I'm going for the Suns. I like to see CP3 get one. He's been criticized for the first half, most actually most of his career. Uh, it was said that he could never get out of the second round. And when he moved to Houston, he played for the Rockets and he eventually made it to the Western Conference Finals. Of course, he got injured in one of the games and the Warriors would end up winning that series. And up to this point, that was the farthest he had gone in the playoffs. But now he's in the finals and his team, the Phoenix Suns, are two games away from making history. And, uh, you know, the Milwaukee, I just, I, I like Giannis. But he's got to come up with uh, extra bags. He's, he needs more bags. It's really just him driving and, you know, with his gangly self, because of him being such a Greek freak of nature, more times than not, he'll get fouled because the defender will not know what to do with him. He's got these long ass arms. He's tall as fuck and he can dribble and he's got speed. Uh, let me just fucking put my hands on him and just let him go to the fucking foul line. And, you know, I, oh, my God, I, I just watching him shoot these three pointers and watching him shoot free throws all the time, every time. If this continues, I'm going to start pissing blood. Oh, my God. But I like Giannis, Greek freak. I like Drew Holiday. I like Chris Middleton. They have a nice roster, but it doesn't look like a championship team. They're going to need more pieces. And like I said, Giannis. is going to have to get a bigger bag you know just driving to the paint all of these things are rela relying on your athletic athletic abilities um the older he gets he's going to have to add a jump shot because that jump shot he has is fucking ugly it's hideous he needs a jump shot he needs a, a post-up move but this going to the free throw line and you know the defending team leaving you wide open at the three-point line this shit nah man that's not what mvps are made of but on july 11th 1990 the adventures of ford fairlane premiered in theaters and it starred andrew dice clay and damn did that movie stink uh, i don't even know where that's available it's probably not on youtube or anywhere on these internet streets and in 1992 on July 11th, November Rain by Guns N' Roses enters the world record books when it becomes the longest single at 8 minutes 57 seconds to reach the US top 20. The single's video has a budget of over 1.5 million, becoming the most expensive at the time. And in 1995, on July 11, 311 releases their debut album, 311. Uh, on that same day, Shaggy releases Boombastic, and Dangerous Mind soundtrack is released. Man, that was like the soundtrack of the summer of 95. You couldn't get away from that Coolio song. It, it's just embedded in our brains forever. In 1997, on July 11th, Contact premiered, starring Matthew McConaughey, and Jodie Foster. In 2003, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen premiered in theaters uh, with Sean Connery. At, you know, I actually like that movie. People shit on it a lot, but hey, what do I know? I'm just a nigga with a podcast. In 2006, Pimp C releases Pimpolation, another classic. Uh, in 2007, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix premiered. By that time, I had lost interest and uh, 
yeah and in 2014 boyhood premiered and that was an interesting movie because of the production uh format uh, it actually took them 12 years to produce this album or to produce this film and it stars and features around a little kid who's living with his mom and uh it it chronicles the the troubled relationships that his mom has gone through in these 12 years and they basically revisit every year for 12 years to shoot this out this movie uh like i said it's a very unique concept unique theme and it's worth checking out at least once i, I think i've only seen this movie once um it's one of those things where if you've seen it already there's no need to revisit it. you you get the gist of it but more importantly i'm going to be talking about dick gregory later uh, because I don't think I've ever really talked about Dick Gregory ever on this show. And he needs to be talked about. He needs to be held in a high reverence because he sacrificed a lot. He sacrificed his time. He, he sacrificed his family uh, for a, a bigger cause than himself. Day in sports history. In 1914, future baseball Hall of Fame slugger Babe Ruth makes his MLB debut as a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, earns a 4-3 win against the Cleveland Naps at Fenway Park. In 1923, Harry Frazee sells the Red Sox to Ohio businessmen for $1 million. In 1939, the 7th All-Star Baseball game is held. The AL wins 3-1 at Yankee Stadium. In 1944, the 12th All-Star Baseball game is held. The NL wins 7-1 at Forbes Field in Pittsburgh. In 1950, the 17th All-Star Baseball game is held, and the NL wins 4-3 in 14 innings at Comiskey Park. 1960, the 28th All-Star Baseball game is held. The NL wins again 5-3 at Municipal Stadium in Kansas City. In 1961, the 30th all-star baseball game is held the nl wins again 5-4 in 10 innings at candlestick park san francisco in 1967 the 38th all-star baseball game is held the national league wins again 2-1 in 15 innings at anaheim stadium in california in 1968, Earl Weaver replaces Hank Bauer as the manager of the Orioles. In 1978, the 49th All-Star Baseball game is held and the National League wins again 7-3 at San Diego Stadium. In 1984, the 55th All-Star Baseball game is held. The National League wins 3-1 at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. In 1985, the Astros' Nolan Ryan is the first to strike out 4,000. In 1987, the Orioles' Cal Ripken Sr. becomes the first to manage two sons as Billy joins his brother Cal. In 1988, Mike Tyson hires Donald Trump as an advisor. Wow. In 1989, the 60th All-Star Baseball game is held. This time, the American League wins 5-3 at Anaheim Stadium. In 1995, the 66th All-Star Baseball game is held. The National League wins 3-2 at Ballpark at Arlington, Texas. In 2000, the 71st All-Star Baseball game is held. The American League wins 6-3 at Turner Field in Atlanta. In 2006, the 77th All-Star Baseball game is held. The American League wins 3-2 at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. In 2012, the 20th ESPY Awards are held. LeBron James and Brittany Griner are winners. In 2012, Steve Nash is traded by the Phoenix Suns to the Los Angeles Lakers. And that was my half-assed sports report.
Today's birthdays for July 11th. Happy 26th birthday to American football player and former Buckeye Joey Bosa, Ohio. Turning 31 today is American football player Patrick Peterson. Happy 37th birthday to American football player Jacoby Jones. Turning 40 today is American football player Andre Johnson. Ah oh, man, I, I I feel so bad that he wasted his most of his career, just about his whole career, with the Houston Texans. I mean, in I've said this before, the Houston Texans is like the most basic name in all of sports. I mean, you, you couldn't think of anything related to space, like the Astros, the Rockets, or even the damn Comets. No, you pick the most basic route you could find. Uh, our team plays in Houston, which is located in Texas. Oh, I got one. Uh, uh, we'll just call ourselves the Houston Texans. Oh, man, who is the fucking ad wizard who stayed up all night trying to figure that shit out? Uh, yeah, I we're the fucking Atlanta Georgians too or how about this one the Cleveland Ohioans jeez happy birthday Andre Johnson turning 46 today is the queen bee herself American rapper and producer Lil Kim happy 55th birthday to American basketball player and coach Rod Strickland turning 62 today is American singer songwriter guitarist and producer Richie Sambora American actress Sheila Ward turned 65 today and turning 78 today is American actor, director, and screenwriter, Tom Holland. Critical. It's critical. Hello. Yes. Yeah. 
a special mention to those no longer with us. This past Tuesday, we lost American actress Suzanne Douglas. Born on April 12, 1957 in Chicago, Illinois, she is best known for her role as matriarch Geraldine Jerry Peterson on the WB sitcom The Parenthood, starring Robert Townsend, which originally ran from 1995 to 1999. Douglas also portrayed Amy Sims in the 1989 dance drama film Tap, alongside Gregory Hines and the legendary Sammy Davis Jr., for which she won an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Motion Picture. In addition to Tap, Douglas starred in several other motion pictures, among them How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Jason's Lyric, The Inkwell, as well as the 2003 Disney version of Sounder with Carl Lumbly. Douglas is also well known for her portrayal as Sissy Houston in the Lifetime TV movie Whitney, which aired in 2015. In May 2019, she appeared as the mother of one of the main characters in the Netflix miniseries When They See Us, directed by the acclaimed Ava DuVernay and produced by Oprah Winfrey's Harpo Films. In February 1989, Douglas married neuroradiologist Roy Jonathan Cobb, to whom she was still married at the time of her death. Together, Douglas and Cobb had one daughter. Douglas died on July 6, 2021, at age 64, at her home in Martha's Vineyard, after a two-year battle with pancreatic cancer. Leon Spinks was an American professional boxer. Born on July 11, 1953, in St. Louis, Missouri, he competed from 1977 to 1995. In only his eighth professional fight, he won the undisputed heavyweight championship in 1978 after defeating Muhammad Ali in a split decision in what is considered one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. Spinks was later stripped of the WBC title for facing Ali in an unapproved rematch seven months later, which he lost by unanimous decision. Besides being heavyweight champion and his characteristic gap-tooth grin, Spinks gained notoriety for the disaster which befell his career following the loss to Ali. However, he did challenge once more for the WBC heavyweight title in 1981, losing to Larry Holmes by TKO in the third round, and the WBA cruiserweight title in 1986, losing to Dwight Muhammad Kwawi by TKO in the sixth round. As an amateur, Spinks won numerous medals in the light heavyweight division. The first was bronze at the inaugural 1974 World Championships, followed by silver at the 1975 Pan American Games, and gold at the 1976 Summer Olympics, the latter alongside his brother Michael Spinks, who won middleweight gold. Leon served in the United States Marine Corps from 1973 to 1976, rising to the rank of corporal. He was stationed at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune in North Carolina and was on the Marine Corps boxing team. Spinks also had a brief career as a professional wrestler in the 1990s, working for Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling and holding the FMW Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship in 1992. Spinks perceptibly slurred his words after his active boxing days and was diagnosed in 2012 with shrinkage in his brain, which doctors said was likely caused by the accumulated punches that he took during his career. In 2011, Spinks and his wife Brenda moved to Las Vegas. Spinks was hospitalized twice in 2014 in a Las Vegas hospital for surgery due to abdominal problems from which he recovered. In 2019, it was revealed that Spinks was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer. He died at a hospital in Henderson, Nevada on February 5, 2021 at age 67. Rest easy, y'all.
Dig Gregory was an American comedian, civil rights, and vegetarian activist. Born Richard Claxton Gregory on October 12, 1932 in St. Louis, Missouri, he would become popular among the African-American communities in the southern United States with his no-holds-barred sets, poking fun at bigotry and racism in the United States. In 1961, he would become a staple in comedy clubs, appeared on television, and released comedy record albums. Gregory was at the forefront of political activism in the 1960s when he protested the Vietnam War and racial injustice. He was arrested multiple times and went on many hunger strikes. He later became a speaker and author, primarily promoting spirituality. Gregory was born in St. Louis, Missouri, the son of Lucille, a housemaid, and Presley Gregory. At Sumner High School, he was aided by teachers, among them Warren St. James. He also excelled at running, winning the state cross-country championship in 1950. Gregory earned a track scholarship to Southern Illinois University, where he set school records as a half-miler and a miler. He was a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. In 1954, his college career was interrupted for two years when he was drafted into the United States Army. At the urging of his commanding officer, who had taken notice of his penchant for joking, Gregory got his start in comedy in the Army, where he entered and won several talent shows. In 1956, Gregory briefly returned to SIU after his discharge, but dropped out because he felt that the university didn't want me to study, they wanted me to run. In the hopes of becoming a professional comedian, Gregory moved to Chicago, Illinois, where he became part of a new generation of black comedians that included Nipsey Russell, Bill Cosby, and Godfrey Cambridge, all of whom broke with the minstrel tradition that presented stereotypical black characters. Gregory drew on current events, especially racial issues, for much of his material. Segregation is not all bad. Have you ever heard of a collision where the people in the back of the bus got hurt? In 1961, Gregory made his New York debut at the Blue Angel, also recording a live set there, Dick Gregory at the Blue Angel, for his album East and West. He soon came back to Chicago and finally got his big break at the Playboy Club in Chicago. Also in 1961, that was supposed to be one night only, and ended up being six weeks and earned him a spot in time and a guest appearance on Jack Parr show and other nightclubs. While working for the United States Postal Service during the daytime, Gregory performed as a comedian in small, primarily black patronized nightclubs. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Gregory described the history of black comics as limited. Blacks could sing and dance in the white nightclubs, but weren't allowed to stand flat-footed and talk to the white folks, which is what a comic does. Gregory was working at the black-owned Robert Show Bar in Chicago when he was spotted by Hugh Hefner. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I understand there are a good many Southerners in the room tonight. I know the South very well. I spent 20 years there one night. Last time I was down South, I walked into this restaurant and this white waitress came up to me and said, we don't serve colored people here. I said, that's all right. I don't eat colored people. Bring me a whole fried chicken. Then these three white boys came up to me and said, boy, we're giving you fair warning. Anything you do to that chicken, we're going to do to you. So I put down my knife and fork, I picked up that chicken, and I kissed it. Then I said, line up, boys. Gregory attributed the launch of his career to Hefner. Based on his performance at Robert Showbar, Hefner hired Gregory to work at the Chicago Playboy Club as a replacement for comedian Professor Irwin Corey. 
Gregory's comedy occasioned controversy in some conservative white circles. The administration of the University of Tennessee, for instance, branded Gregory an extreme racist whose appearance would be an outrage and an insult to many citizens of this state and revoked his invitation by students to speak on campus. The students sued with noted litigator William Kunstler as their counsel, and in Smith versus University of Tennessee, they won in an order from the court that the university's policy was too broad and vague. The University of Tennessee then implemented an open speaker system, and Gregory subsequently performed in April of 1970. In 1964, Gregory's book Nigger was published. Since then, the book has never been out of print. In 2019, a trade paperback was published as well as an audio version. Gregory met his future wife, Lillian Gregory, at an African-American club. They married in 1959 and had 11 children. He was criticized for being an absent father. In a 2000 interview with the Boston Globe, Gregory was quoted as saying, people ask me about being a father and not being there. I say Jack the Ripper had a father. Hitler had a father. Don't talk to me about family. On July 21, 1979, Gregory appeared at the Amanla Festival, where Bob Marley, Patti LaBelle, and Eddie Palmieri, amongst others, performed. Gregory gave a speech before Marley's performance, blaming President Jimmy Carter and showing his support for the international anti-apartheid movement. Gregory was active in the civil rights movement. On October 7, 1963, he came to Selma, Alabama and spoke for two hours on a public platform, two days before the voter registration drive, known as Freedom Day. Gregory became more involved in civil rights activities, activism against Vietnam War, economic reform, and anti-drug issues. As a part of his activism, he went on several hunger strikes and campaigns in America and overseas. In the early 1970s, he was banned from Australia, where government officials feared he would stir up demonstrations against the Vietnam War. Gregory also played a role in the search for three missing civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, who vanished in Philadelphia, Mississippi. After Gregory and members of Corps met with Neshoba County Sheriff Lawrence A. Rainey, Gregory became convinced that the sheriff's office was complicit. With cash provided by Hugh Hefner, Gregory announced a $25,000 reward for information. The FBI, which had been criticized for inaction, eventually followed suit with its own reward, and the rewards worked. The bodies of the three men were found by FBI 44 days after they disappeared. At a civil rights rally marking the 40th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Gregory criticized the United States, calling it the most dishonest, ungodly, unspiritual nation that ever existed in the history of the planet. As we talk now, America is 5% of the world's population and consumes 96% of the world's hard drug. Gregory was diagnosed with lymphoma in late 1999. He said he was treating the cancer with herbs, vitamins, and exercise, which he believed kept the cancer in remission. Gregory would begin his political career by running against Richard J. Daley for mayor of Chicago in 1967. Though he did not win, this would not prove to be the end of his participation in electoral politics. Gregory ran for president of the United States in 1968 as a write-in candidate of the Freedom and Peace Party, which had broken off from the Peace and Freedom Party. He garnered 47,097 votes, including one from Hunter S. Thompson, with fellow activist Mark Lane as his running mate in some states. His running mate in New Jersey was Dr. David Frost of Plainfield, a biologist, Rutgers professor, and chairman of New Jersey SANE, Committee for a SANE Nuclear Policy. 
Famed pediatrician Dr. Benjamin Spock was the running mate in Virginia and Pennsylvania, garnering more than the party yet left. The Freedom and Peace Party also ran other candidates, including Beulah Sanders for New York State Senate and Flora Brown for New York State Assembly. His efforts landed him on the master list of Nixon's political opponents. In 2008, Gregory stated he believed that air pollution and intentional water contamination with heavy metals such as lead and possibly manganese may be being used against black Americans, especially in urban neighborhoods, and that such factors would be contributing to high levels of violence in black communities. Gregory was an outspoken activist during the U.S. Embassy hostage crisis in Iran. In 1980, he traveled to Tehran to attempt to negotiate the hostages' release and engage in a public hunger strike there, weighing less than 100 pounds when he returned to the United States. He became a vegetarian and fasting activist in 1965, based on the philosophy of nonviolence practiced during the civil rights movement. His 1973 book, Dick Gregory's Natural Diet for Folks Who Eat, Cooking with Mother Nature outlined how fasting and going vegetarian led to dramatic weight loss. He developed a diet drink called Bahamian Diet Nutritional Drink and went on TV shows advocating his diet and to help the morbidly obese. He wrote the introduction to Viktora Povinska's book, Survival into the 21st Century, a talk he gave at Amherst College in 1986 inspired Tracy McWhorter to become a vegan activist. Gregory would die from heart failure at a hospital in Washington, D.C. on August 19, 2017, at the age of 84. A week prior to his death, he was hospitalized with a bacterial infection. Rest in paradise to our brother, Richard Claxton Gregory, better known as the one and only Dick Gregory. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please, please, please make sure you check out my other show, Happen in the 90s with my buddy Matt G every Thursday, as well as our sister show, Crushgasm with Kendra. And man, what about these Olympics? I can't even watch now. We lost the fucking Nigeria in the exhibition games. We're not even sitting the best anymore. No LeBron, no Kyrie, no Clay with a K, no Steph. Ah. We're supposed to be the best. What the fuck? Ah. Sons in five. Y'all be cool. Peace.